Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. Remember when a bunch of y'all were freaking out about the Lakers' 0-3 start to the season? And by a bunch of y'all, I mean all of y'all. Remember that? Laker fans losing their minds, Laker haters all about it, loving it. Yeah, well, I'm not here to say I told you so, but I pretty much told you so. I told you it was going to be a long season, that there was talent, that they had that talent, but they had to figure things out. Well, the Lakers beat the Blazers 126-117 last night. And don't look now, but they've won four in a row. They've won six of seven. Now, just like I told you not to freak out when they started 0-3, I'm going to tell you right now, especially you, Laker fan, not to freak out when they're rolling the way they are because it is still a long season. They do still have a lot of things to figure out. Here's another thing that needed to be shot down, this notion that LeBron doesn't give a damn, that LeBron doesn't care, that LeBron no longer has it because the guy does care and he does still have it. It's a sign of how spoiled everybody is that LeBron was averaging nearly a triple-double, and people still were saying that the guy checked out. You know, like averaging a triple-double is not that big of a deal. Like, it happens all the time. But if I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, there hadn't been one of those so-called where-were-you-when type games from LeBron. Where-were-you-when type moments since he put on the purple and gold, at least not until last night. 44, 10, 9, and 3. 44 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, 3 blocks in last night's game. Now, I know people want to clown the Lakers after their win over the Hawks. I get that. Just like I get that people want to crack on people who said that Tyson Chandler was going to be this great addition. But he was, and he is. And for all the doubters, check last night. The Blazers are not the Hawks, and that was not easy. They came back from 13 down, and they got that win. And LeBron did much of the work. For a guy who some losers believe is just here to enjoy the weather and to start his movie career, this guy can still play a little. This guy can still actually play a lot because the Blazers threw everything they had at him, including a number of hard fouls in the fourth, and it didn't matter. He kept right on rolling. This guy flat out imposed his will. He took over that game, and he did so against a good Portland team. That was a tremendous performance, the best in his short time as a Laker, a performance that included moments like this. Here's a cutting Stauskas block by LeBron, a spectacular block by the King. Here he comes with the ball the other way, 360, go to the rim, lay it up and in. LeBron doing it on both ends, a spectacular block. And then a running layup at the other end. And the Lakers lead 87-80. John freaking Ireland, if you need him. Lakers radio. Block at one end, get the pass, finish it at the other. It also included this. Ingram gets it to LeBron, who's guarded by Jake Lehman with five to shoot. Shoot a three, LeBron. LeBron drives right by Lehman, gets in the lane, foul count of it, goes, it goes. There it is. LeBron James has tied Wilt Chamberlain for an all-time scoring mark of 31,419. And now, if he makes the free throw, Michael, he passes it to become fifth all-time in the NBA. Wow. And the crowd 
realizes what's happening and comes to its feet. They're going to stop the game and give him the ball. LeBron's free throw is good. There it is. He passes Wilt Chamberlain. 31,420 points. And oh, by the way, 39 tonight. That moved him past Wilt in a fifth on the all-time list. And no, I am not interested in your lame, tired, unoriginal jokes about Wilt and the scoring list. Keep moving, losers. Great night for LeBron. In fact, so great, he got a Twitter shout-out from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold said, congrats to at King James on passing Wilt for fifth on the all-time scoring list. What a champion. I'm proud of you. Game. Recognizing game. And it's a reminder that while Zion is throwing down LeBron dunks, I'll get to that in a minute, LeBron is still throwing down LeBron dunks in L.A. Oh, and one more thing. Did you check out that MVP chant? At Staples for LeBron. That had to feel pretty good for him. It had to make others feel miserable. You know, the ones who said that Laker fans would never embrace this guy. They have, and they're embracing this team. The only dark cloud for Laker fans was the fact that Rajon Rondo broke his hand. He's going to be out for a number of weeks. Which brings up another thing. Remember when everybody thought it was so weird that the Lakers brought in Rondo? Like, why bring in that guy? He is kind of weird. He is a little strange. And they've already got Lonzo Ball. Why would you do it? Well, when you see how they play with Rondo on the floor and the impact that he's having on the young guys, you know the answer. And you know that a busted hand is not going to stop him from talking or coaching those young guys up. Now it's up to Ball to pick up where Rondo left off and keep that thing rolling. There is a lot of season left. It is only a small sample. So I would never say, I told you so, especially since everybody hates a bag that says, I told you so. But I told you so. That's why you don't freak out at 0-3. Now they're 8-6. and Now they're starting to put it together. And LeBron obviously is not just here to start his movie career. The guy can still ball a little. The guy still cares. The guy can still take over a game. And he did last night. We are joined by a Cleveland Browns legend. Only lineman in NFL history to be named to the Pro Bowl in each of his first 10 seasons. He played 10,363 consecutive snaps. Only player in team history to win the team's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award three times. The host of the Tomahawk Show. 2006 Outland Trophy winner. 2018 Outland Trophy ambassador. And leading their Fight Flu public awareness campaign. Joe Thomas is my guest. Joe, it's great to have you on. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Good to have you, Joe. Thanks so much. So you were with Cleveland for so many seasons, Joe, and there were a few moments where it really felt like there might be hope. I got to be honest, right now, the Browns, to me, are one of the most exciting teams in the league. I love their potential. So what do you think when you watch them on both sides of the ball right now? Well, I'm really hopeful. I'm excited for the future. Obviously, I'm a huge Cleveland Browns fan. And when you look at who they've got, they've got a potential franchise rookie quarterback right now. They've got one of the best young pass rushers in the league, and they've got one of the best young cornerbacks in the league. And those are three positions that you can build off for the future. And that's why I'm saying it's great to be a Cleveland Browns fan right now. We're talking to Joe Thomas. You know, in terms of the rookie quarterback, you were there when Johnny Manziel arrived before this year's draft. Or, no, you were there then. But before this year's draft, some folks were trying to make the comparison between Manziel and Baker Mayfield. Based on your time with Manziel and what you've seen from Baker, how accurate is that comparison, really? Well, it's not very accurate at all. I think people wanted to make the comparison because they're both short quarterbacks from Texas that have a lot of personality. They've got a lot of competitive fire. But when you look at how they play, Baker's much more of a pocket passer. He wants to do things within the confines of the offense, within the rhythm of the offense. 
And really most of the plays that Johnny made in college, which he made a lot of them, were running around, ad-libbing, throwing the ball downfield to Mike Evans. And so really they're, they're totally different guys. And I think what Baker did well in college was why he is so far transitioned really well into the pro game because he is making those plays within the confines of the offense. And he is expected to throw the ball from the pocket more often than not. Joe Thomas, my guest. You know, Joe, then you've got all the intangible things, right? Like, for instance, being a rookie quarterback can be a really challenging thing because you've got to walk into a group of grown men, guys with families, guys who've been doing it for a long time, and you've got to say, follow me. What is it that, for instance, you would look for to see in a young quarterback that makes you feel like you want to follow him? Well, to me, it's all about commitment. It's is he putting the time in in the meeting room? Is he staying later than I am? Which, when I was playing, I used to stay pretty late. So it was pretty tough for those guys to stay longer than me to be that, that guy that was preparing, that was burning that midnight oil. But if you want to be a successful quarterback in the NFL, that's what you have to do. You have to be there till 8 and 9 every single night going over game plan, watching practice film, meeting with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach because there is so much to learn as a quarterback it is the most difficult position in all of sports it's like if you want to be a good quarterback in the nfl it's like getting your phd it's becoming a doctor you need to be a doctorate in quarterbacking and when you leave college you basically just have your undergrad so there's so much to learn there's so much time you have to put in and if you want guys to lead uh, or you want to be able to lead guys in the NFL, those grown men that have families that have been doing it a long time, you got to prove to them that it's important to you and that you're putting in the time and that when the time comes, you're going to be the one that can make that play because you're prepared. If you have a list of fixer projects to get done before 2019, you better get on that. Get to Ferguson. Listen to this. No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. Cleveland Browns great Joe Thomas joining us here in the jungle. And Joe, one more thought about Manziel. I bring it up because he said on the Tomahawk show, quote, I look back at it now and I'm like, damn, I wasted a little bit of Joe T's career in Cleveland. End of quote. What was it like when you heard that for the first time? Well, he, he talked to me privately about that type of stuff um, after he was gone and done in Cleveland. But I think, you know, for him to reflect on that is a big step in his maturation process. And if he does ever want to have a chance to play in the NFL, he's got to come to terms with the fact that he did squander his career in Cleveland because he was given a huge opportunity and he didn't put in the preparation. He didn't put in the time and the commitment that it takes to be in the NFL. Now, me specifically, well, hey, I wish he would have been a better quarterback, of course. I wish we would have won a lot more games, but that's not the way things turned out, and I can't cry over spilled milk. We're talking to Joe Thomas. Joe, you and Andrew Hawkins were at the stadium on Sunday and gave a pump-up speech to the fans. Look, I know you're humble. You're not going to take credit for this win over Atlanta or anything like that, but let me ask you, Cleveland is such a proud, proud city. Those fans are diehard. What was it like to play in front of them? Well, like you mentioned, we were there with the Tomahawk Show, my award-winning podcast, and it was unbelievable playing in front of those people because even though the record was not very good year in and year out, for some reason there's so much pride and passion in the Cleveland Browns and with their fans that they would continue to show up and they would cheer and they were interested, whereas most other NFL franchises, those fans, as soon as the losing starts happening, they just turn the knob. They turn the TV off and they start watching something else. But 
for a Cleveland, a Cleveland or a Cleveland Browns fan, that's what they live and breathe and they die with. And it doesn't matter what the record is. They're going to pay attention and they're going to show up every single week and they're going to support the team. And it, it really felt good that even though I didn't have a very successful career from a wins and loss standpoint, those people still showed up and they cheered for you and they were in your corner. Well, and then, Joe, the number 10,363, it goes into the team's ring of honor. I know how much your teammates and coaches love that moment. What was it like for you to see that up there with all the other Browns legends? That was really special. There's a lot of guys that have played in Cleveland that have gone on to the Hall of Fame and some of the greatest names in football, Otto Graham, Lou Groza, Jim Brown, and to just have that snap streak up there with them and hopefully someday have my my name up there with them is something that is surreal. It really hasn't been able to become real for me yet, but standing in that stadium the day that they unveiled that, there was definitely some tears rolling down my face as I kind of reflected over what it really meant to be able to be out there with my friends and my teammates and my coaches and put together over 10,000 consecutive snaps. You know, Joe, guys really struggle when it ends and they're not often prepared for it. You seem like you made the transition, at least from the outside looking in. It seems like you've made the transition pretty seamlessly. You've been really busy as a broadcaster and a podcaster. So what's your first year of retirement been like? It's been busy. Like you mentioned, a lot of guys struggle. But for me, after I got through like about my eighth season, I started kind of paying attention to my friends that were getting to that stage. They were retiring. And I wanted to try to make sure that I was as prepared as possible for that time that did come when you have to retire because it comes for everybody. It's just a matter of time. So for me, I knew that the number one thing that could help me kind of avoid some of the pitfalls that other guys have had is just stay busy, right? Continue to be involved in the game in your own little way. And that's kind of what being in the media has done for me, but also stay busy. You know, you're going to have plenty of free time that you're not used to, but you still need to have a schedule. You need to have discipline. You need to have some of those things that were part of your daily life, because if you just let all that go away, you're going to kind of wander around like a rudderless ship. You don't really know what's going on. And then that's when you start to question, you know, what am I doing? You know, what's my purpose in life? And for me, I never wanted to have those things happen. Right. Like, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Joe, what about the physical transition? I mean, you've talked about how you have almost no cartilage left in your knees. And then in your final season, it was tough enough just to walk. You made that transition to broadcasting look easy, but you've also lost a lot of weight. What's your approach been like when it comes to food in retirement? Yeah, it's funny, you know, towards the end of my career, I really started looking forward to be able to lose some of that weight that I had to carry to be an offensive lineman because I knew it was going to make me feel a lot better. It was going to make my knees feel better, my hips, my back. And so as soon as I decided to retire, I started losing that weight. And it's been a great process. I really cut out a lot of my carbs. I've done some of the keto diet. I've tried to pick up swimming and yoga, and I still lift weights. Uh, But it's been great. I'm down about 50 pounds from where I was. Um, during my playing days, and I feel a lot better. I'm not going to say I feel great, but I used to feel 65, and maybe now I feel 45. Good. What about a cheat meal? Do you allow yourself a cheat meal, and if so, what is it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I am a pizza guy through and through, so for me, when, when I have that cheat meal, I go crazy and eat like a pizza and a half. We're talking to Joe Thomas. Joe, you're the 2018 Outland Trophy Ambassador. You're working with the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases to help people fight the flu. What is the number one thing that you want listeners to do in order to fight the flu, to beat the flu? Well, the most important thing is to try to stop it before you get it. You know, and the only way you're going to do that is if you're getting that flu vaccine. And there's a lot of people around us, especially as the holidays come up. There's those little kids, those older people, our grandparents that can't get the flu shot. They're not not allowed. And in order to protect 
them from the flu and all the terrible consequences when you get the flu at a young age or a really old age, you need to have that flu shot. So obviously you want to protect yourself, but protect the people around you that you're going to be seeing during the holidays that you love, that you know that can't get the flu shot because the last thing you want to do is be that typhoid Mary and show up at Thanksgiving and get everybody the flu. So last thing you want, Joe, I do this every single year. I mean, aside from this and the conversation you and, I are, you and I are having, I just buy into it. I believe in it. I know the winter's coming. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to miss work. What about you? There's some that say like, no, man, I don't, it, it only gets me sick. I don't buy into the flu shot. Where do you come out on this? Well, there's a lot of people that want to buy into the conspiracy theories and they uh, don't want to get the flu shot for whatever reason, which, hey, those people, I'm not going to change their mind about any of this, but you can find out all the legitimate informa- uh, information online if you go to the CDC's website and you read some of those information. But really, hey, I, I always have been getting the flu shot, especially since I started having kids, because I want to be able to protect them. You know, if I get the flu, uh, during my playing days, it was bad. I, I didn't want to have to go out and play a football game with the flu. But nowadays, the last thing I want to do is get my family sick because, as you know, if you've got a little baby, <laughs> you're not going to be singing the very happy tune if your kids are sick because you're not going to be sleeping at all, and it's no. going to be a nightmare. And you know that's the last thing that you want around the holidays. You know it, Joe. Once it gets in the house, it goes all around the house. Joe Thomas, Cleveland Browns legend, joining us. Joe, great to have you on. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to it. Hey, Jim, I appreciate you having me on. And don't forget to check out my award-winning podcast, The Tomahawk Show, wherever you get your podcast. You know it. Well done, Joe. Well done. Joe Thomas, (laughs) my guest. That's how you do it. He figured that game out fast, didn't he? All right, so no doubt. No doubt or debate whatsoever that the clear-cut, absolute breakout star of 2018 is Patrick Mahomes. Whether it's wrist-flicking Dukes out of Arrowhead pregame, or relentlessly spinning the rock deep down the field during the game. This kid has been nothing short of pure, unadulterated magic. He's amazing. Amazing to watch. Sometimes the numbers do not tell the story, but with this dude, the numbers very much tell the story. Ten games, nine wins, 33 house calls, 3,300 yards from scrimmage, and the best passer rating in the entire AFC. You know, the word perfect may come to mind, but then there's that one impossible to ignore blemish on his record. And I'm not talking about the L that he took in New England back in week six. The defense can wear that. I'm talking about the giant ketchup stain that is on my man's life resume. Because yesterday ESPN dropped a feature on Patty Ice and revealed some pretty harrowing details about this dude's off the field exploits. Now, you know me. I always say this. We don't know any of these guys. We do not know any of these guys. And I want to be very clear. I love Patrick Mahomes. I love this guy's game. I love his character. I love his heart. I love his discipline. I love his grind. I love the way he prepares. But I saw something I'm not so sure I love. And I'm not even here to judge. I'm here to help. Because in this piece, ESPN says that Mahomes' grandpa asked him, quote, What's it like to be famous? Now, again, he comes from a very famous family. But straight from the article, right from this column, it reads, quote, For one thing, it means he eats less ketchup. He spent most of his life putting ketchup on everything. He would get bottles for his birthday. But now everyone is watching every move he makes 
He is sheepish about ordering ketchup. At a restaurant recently, his mom recognized an unfilled desire as he dove into a steak. Just ask for it, his mom said. I know you want it. Patrick wouldn't. So she asked for the ketchup and slipped it to him. End of quote. That is incredible. I know you want it. Do it. It's fine. Nobody's watching. Nobody's looking. Hey, listen, we so badly want these guys to be open and honest. I mean, we so badly want to know everything about these guys. We so badly want to get behind the curtain. Don't we? Don't we want access? Don't we want to know? Well, there's certain things that probably we don't want to know. Certain things that the overly curious public that is obsessed with knowing probably doesn't want or need to know. And I'm not singling him out. I just think that he's starting a dialogue. He's starting a conversation that needs to be had. And I'm glad. And the conversation is this. Anybody over the age of seven putting ketchup on a steak is one of those things that we have to address. And again, I couldn't respect this guy anymore. I love this guy. This guy is one of the most electric athletes that I've ever seen in my entire career. I love this guy. I couldn't love this guy any more than I do. Great dude, great talent, great teammate, great character, great grind, great work ethic. We had him on Radio Row in Minnesota. He was a great interview. I love watching him. I don't have to pay to watch games. This is a guy that I'd pay money to watch every single Sunday. Put all of that aside. I would never want this to get back to Patrick Mahomes. Hey, man, Rome was dogging you. No, I'm not. Rome is not. This is a much bigger conversation. And here's the conversation. There is a time and place for ketchup. And it's called nowhere and never, except for potato products. If you want a waterfall, a glass bottle of 57 on fries, on hash browns, on crinkle cuts, by all means, get after it. Have at it. That said, get that juvenile condiment away from everything else, especially steak. Steak is the alpha of all things edible in the entire world. Vegans, that's another conversation for another time. Steak is the alpha of all things edible. Man, it's so perfect as it is. Of course it's frowned upon when you ask for steak sauce. Think about that. There are sauces out there like A1, specifically designed for steak. It's a full pot to put it anywhere near your cow. I didn't write the rules. I follow the rules. Rule number one, you do not dress a steak. Not with A1 and especially with ketchup. And deep down, my man knows that. He does. He's ashamed on some level. He just was brought up on ketchup. He's always done it. He loves it. But notice, even he knows better than to get near ketchup in public. This is why Moms is smuggling it to him under the table at a restaurant. He knows it's wrong. Listen, this is not a Patrick Mahomes thing. This is an anybody over the age of seven thing. This is not a famous thing. This is a person thing. You do not have to be famous to stop eating ketchup with anything other than fries. You only have to be over the age of seven. I remember when I was growing up, I had a cousin. And she put ketchup on everything. Everything. I don't just mean potato products and steak. 
I mean everything. Like ketchup on applesauce, everything. Like ketchup on mustard, everything. I've never seen anything like it. But I know she's not the only one. Look, I'm not here to hate. I mean, I love Patrick. I love everything about this guy. Except that, I'm here to help. It's not too late. The first step is admitting you've got a problem. You're playing like a grown-ass man on the field. You're doing things that have never been done in this sport. You are playing like a grown-ass man on the field, and I love it. Now it's time to eat like a grown-ass man off the field. You've got this, dude. You've got this. I'm here for you. If you're ever feeling tempted, remember the immortal words of Alec Baldwin. Put that ketchup down. Ketchup is for four-year-olds. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Put that ketchup down. Ketchup is for four-year-olds. Also, what this is not about, this is not an invitation for the great lame debate about ketchup's place on a hot dog. For a lot of you, you count this as a reason to go. I don't get that at all. I've never understood that. We all know the reasons to go. Somebody spits in your face, a reason to go. Somebody threatens you or your family or somebody close to you. That's a reason to go. Somebody says something derogatory about your race or religion, pretty much a reason to go. Putting ketchup on a hot dog to me is not a reason to go, but it is for a lot of you. A lot of you want to give anybody the hands if they drop any ketchup on a hot dog. And I've never understood that. That's the one thing about that whole debate. Neither side gets the other side, and I really don't get your side of that. I understand this, this argument that you don't put ketchup on a steak. Look, if you want to say to me, you don't put ketchup on a $50 piece of meat, fine. You don't put ketchup on a piece of Wagyu, fine. We're talking about a hot dog. It's one thing to say you don't put ketchup on a $60 piece of meat, right? But you can put whatever the hell you want on a six-cent piece of meat, for all I care. Telling somebody how to dress raccoon meat is a hell of a lot different than telling somebody how to dress a $60 New York. Don't bring that around here. Until you can tell me what's in a hot dog, don't tell me what to put on a hot dog. I don't give a damn what you put on your hot dog. Why do you care what I put on my hot dog? And yes, I put ketchup on my hot dog. And mustard. And on occasion, relish. I may even hit that with an onion. I don't give a damn what you put on your hot dog. So why do you care what I put on my hot dog? And until you can tell me what's in a hot dog, don't tell me what to put on a hot dog. Patrick Mahomes is the best. His mom is smuggling ketchup under the table to him. Honey, I know you want that ketchup. No, I'm good. I'm good, moms. Mom, you know you want it. Just do it. Who cares? You are who you are. Don't change. If they've got a problem with you putting ketchup on your steak, they got a problem with themselves, son. Yeah, I love the fact that he's like aware. He's like, they're looking at me. They're all looking at me. Everybody's looking at me. Hey, mom, get it to me under the table. Hey, mom. I'm going to slide my steak under the table and then you administer the ketchup and then slide it back under the table. Dear Rome, we see nothing wrong with Mahomes using ketchup with steak. Signed, adults that dip their pizza in ranch and Canadians. And Canadians? 
You just attach Canadians to that. What bag do you think sent that? Name the bag. Spin the wheel. Name the bag. If you guessed John in Huntington Beach, non-ketchup user ever, you're right. I'm not a non, I'm not saying you can't use ketchup. I'm saying use it for potato products. Fries, hash brown, crinkle fries. I don't put it on eggs. I'm not a ketchup on egg guy. Literally just fries. Maybe a wedge. Hey, Jim, ketchup. At least Mahomes doesn't order steak with bacterial infections and mold. Regards dry-aged steak. Dry-aged is a whole different conversation. That's a whole different conversation. I'm not sure where I come out on that. Never tell you that story. I went to Vegas once. Went to a nice hotel, and this waiter was just all up in my grill. Rome, Rome, dry aged is where it's at, son. Dry age, dry age. And I said, you know what? I'm a New York guy. I just, I don't deviate. New York, New York, New York. When I eat steak, I go New York. He's like, that's it. We have a dry age New York. I said, what's the market price on that bad boy? And he quoted me some just absurd number. And he's all about it. He's like, dude, are you kidding me? I cannot believe it. We serve this every night. Everybody loves it. This is not even an issue for you, Rome. So I'm probably an adult beverage or two in. I'm like, man, I'm in Vegas. Hell yeah, let's do this thing. Bring it in. You could have put my shoe on a plate and it would have tasted better. I'm like, yo, yo, hey, waiter, bring me some A1 and some ketchup for that dry aged. So I've gotten back on that horse since. I don't know where I come out on dry aged. I, I don't know. It hasn't lived up to the hype. If nothing lives up to the hype, dry aged has not lived up to the hype for me. Hey, Jim, I put ketchup on my toothbrush. Regards, Mark Mangino. Jeremy surrounded by meth in Oregon. You're a winner. All right, we're going to talk some college basketball, specifically Florida State basketball. We are joined by the winningest coach in Florida State history. Eighth all-time winningest coach in ACC history. He led Florida State to the Elite Eight last year, three National Coach of the Year awards, two-time ACC Coach of the Year, two-time Big East Coach of the Year, front of the program, Leonard Hamilton joining us. Leonard, good to have you on. How are you? Jim, who were you talking about? Was that me? That was you. That was you, Coach. That's your resume. That's your life. In fact, speaking of your life, I got to know, before we get into the season, how are you? How is your life right now? Oh, man, you know, I'm having a ball. I really enjoy what I do. This is, uh, I'm kind of like I'm living a dream, working with young people. You're getting teenagers when they're 17, 18 years old, and you're with them into young adulthood, and you're mentoring them and leading them, urging them into a uh, part of their life uh, that gives them a chance to be successful. And uh, it's just a great experience. It's been a great ride for me. And I enjoy every day I come to work because I feel like I'm, I'm a part of, of something meaningful and, and important. And, uh, and hopefully we can win a few, a few basketball games along the way. I love hearing that. Leonard Hamilton's my guest. In fact, you've won a couple of games to start. You're 2-0. and You've got wins over Florida and Tulane. And on top of that, you're number 14 in the country. I know the ranking doesn't mean a whole lot to you at this point of the year, but what have you made of how your team has shown up in the first two games? Well, I do have a lot of concerns. You know, Jim, we normally win our basketball games with 
our guys that are in our rotation from 6 to 11. And I have five new guys, first-year guys that are playing. And so we're a work in progress. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to win our first couple of games. But obviously, we, when you have new guys that are just getting into your system, there's a lot of growing and, and developing. So we still have a work cut out for us. We're trying to develop habits and, and some consistency. Uh, I like our team. I love the attitudes. I think we are talented. It's just that in order to compete in the, the ACC, um, and that, that you know you got to be at your best. I'm getting ready to go into a stretch of five games in ten days. <clears throat> uh, hopefully, we we'll, we have a Canisius on Monday and UAB. I think on Thursday, and if we beat UAB. I'm anticipating we're gonna play. We'll play uh, LSU uh, on Thursday, and we. We're successful there. We end up playing Villanova <clears throat> on on Sunday and come back home and play against Purdue. So, you know, I'm in a very, very tough stretch right now, and we're trying to grow and learn and develop. So uh, we, we, we are very, very focused uh, trying to prepare ourselves for uh, this next uh, set of games that we uh, have uh, facing us. Leonard Hamilton joining us, head basketball coach of Florida State. So you've got a really challenging stretch. You know, you mentioned you've got a lot of new faces. Then, of course, you've got some really familiar faces like Terrence Mann, P.J. Savoy. In fact, let me take a moment and talk to you about Mann because perhaps something that people do not know, in the first game of the NCAA tournament last season, he slipped and he tore the abductor muscle off of his groin, and then he tore one of his ab muscles. The scale of the injury was not known until later on, but he kept right on playing, even at 18 in that Sweet 16 win over Gonzaga. So what's that tell you about man's toughness and his character? I tell you what, I, th- I thought I was tough when I had to uh, coach a game after having the kidney stones against North Carolina, but I'm, the pain that he had to go through, and he never complained, he never missed a day. Uh, he he worked right through it and, and was a soldier and was extremely effective. And as soon as the season was over, we uh, sent him to a specialist up in Philadelphia, and and there we addressed it. And he was kind of uh, on the um, on the recruit recruiting table uh, all all summer long. And he's come back in. He's stronger and hadn't missed a beat. He says an awful lot about his toughness. His dedication to his team. Man, that's tough. Leonard Hamilton joining us. Now, I mentioned you led the team to the Elite Eight for the first time in your time at the school, only the third time in school history. I know you're not in the business of looking back very much, but if you do look back on last season and last year's team, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, I, I felt that we were very inconsistent last year. Uh, I was, uh, even though we, we got strong there toward the end of the season, we had some major injuries to Trent Forrest and uh, Chris Kamalaji and and, Pat, and and Patrick Savoy, uh, they all had uh, six and seven week injuries that caused them, you know, to 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 not be in practice or be in games, and it kind of kept us in a little bit of flux. We 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 never really got any consistency to 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 right there at the end of the end of the season, but I, I felt that we displayed some inconsistencies that on the road at at North Carolina State, at Wake Forest, on the road at Boston College, I just thought that in Syracuse, I just didn't feel that we were where we needed to be. And and so we've used that to fuel our focus and attention this year, realizing that uh, you can't go into the ACC conference without having the right mindset. Hopefully we've improved on that. Uh, we just got some inexperienced – we got – a combination of experienced players, but we need our inexperienced players to be a little farther along than where we are. 
And so, but that's part of the process. I'm sure uh, many coaches will say the same thing if you talk to them. Ward, in fact, on that point, Leonard Hamilton, my guest, you know, I've had a number of NBA head coaches on the show in the first few weeks of the season, and they talk so much about how the NBA game has changed. How much has the college game changed in your time at Florida State, and have those changes made the game better or worse? Well, I, I do think that that the, uh, the game has changed. Uh, I was against us moving the um, – uh, uh, taking the five seconds off the shot clock. I, I didn't think that was good for college basketball, but – be very honest with you. It has been. We all have adjusted. Uh, I think people have a tendency to forget, Jim, that these are amateurs. These are guys that are developing. We need a little bit more time to grow and develop. There seems to be such a push to move the college game to the NBA game for whatever reason. Uh, and and you see a lot of one-on-one play, uh, a lot of uh, guys taking contested shots and making contested shots. And I guess that's why you call them pros. Uh, the level that we're at, we're developing kids, and uh, I do. But I do feel the pace of the game is is, is quickened. Uh, I think that the fans are, are enjoying the pace. Uh, uh, even though I was not in favor of cutting the shot clock down, it hasn't had any negative effect at all. Uh, we're considering moving the three-point line back. I, I kind of like where it is. I look. I like the, like the three-point line is part of the game. It's, it's, it's part of the growth and development of youngsters. Uh, but I do think uh, that the game, the pace has changed. I know our system has changed. Uh, we're playing a lot faster. Uh, we are probably one of the top teams in the country in terms of pace of game. We, we're shooting the ball under 16 seconds on the shot clock uh, most of the time. Uh, we are spreading the floor, attacking a lot more. Our recruiting has changed a little bit now that we're trying to recruit types of players that – can play that type of system. So I would say that uh, you're going to see the game, the pace of the game, pick up even a little more. Uh, there's talk about, re, uh, which I'm not in favor of, 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 of put, setting the clock down to 24 seconds and widening the lane. So uh, there's a lot of speculation going on now. But I think the game is great the way it is. And uh, it seems like every year we are tinkering with it. And I think it's, all, it's not broken. I'm not – don't think we need to be trying to fix it. I'm glad I asked. Leonard Hamilton joining us. You know, you mentioned recruiting. Like, when kids come on campus now generally, and every kid's different, but generally, what do they want? Are they looking to say, hey, coach, you got to help me get to the association? Are they about the process? Do they want to enjoy college life? Generally, what are these kids like when they step on campus? Well, I, I do believe that, that, that comment there of kids trying to get to the NBA. Now, Jim, let's think about this. There are 400 NBA jobs, and two, 150 of them are probably going to European kids. So you got 250 jobs available, and every year you have about 25, maybe 30, and I'm, and I'm being generous, spots available for college kids. But it seems as though we're making all the rules, and, and, and I'm for kids having an opportunity to realize their dream. I'm for anybody who wants to go one, one and done. I'm for kids uh, being able to have that opportunity. But there are 8,000 kids playing college basketball, and 98% of those guys are going to be working. And, and trying to provide for their families. So I am really, really don't want the, the education process to get lost in the shuffle of us always talking about what's best for those 30 kids when you have 8,000 8, kids who are amateurs that maybe might not have an, even an opportunity. Now we, we are putting in enticing kids to um, uh, with the, 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 the $125,000 uh, that seems to be proposed to go to the G League which I'm in favor of anybody realizing any opportunities. 
But I don't want the educational process to get lost in the shuffle because most of these kids will, will have a better way of life if they can concentrate on getting their degrees and preparing themselves for life after basketball. You know, it's such a critical point. You know that. I know that. But we're both a little bit older. Do they know that? Of that 98%, what percent of that knows that? Well, I, I think that because of the, 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 the way things are worded and presented to them, uh, we, we need to place emphasis on being realistic. I mean, if you only have 30 opportunities per year that, that go to the league and you got 8,000 kids <laughs> playing basketball, you know, it's interesting. You'll have, you'll have um, more kids that will put their name in for the draft than you have spots to be drafted. You know, something's kind of wrong with this picture. It seems as though we 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 leading our kids in the in the wrong direction. I I I think we need to have some more conversation. Let's see how we can best create a situation where kids don't get lost in 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 in, in their viewpoint, but also give those who are uh, available uh, to uh, an opportunity to realize their dreams. We keep talking about elite players, where if you really really look at a lot of the kids who have been successful in the NBA. They weren't considered elite players coming out of high school. Now, you do have some, but you have a, a, a large percentage of those guys who were guys who worked hard, earned their way, and, and, and they deserve to be where they are. I still think that we, we don't need to forget that these, these are youngsters, these are amateurs, and, and the college education experience you know, sometimes changes the whole culture of a family. Leonard Hamilton, my guest, two-time ACC Coach of the Year, two-time Big East Coach of the Year, a three-time National Coach of the Year award winner as well, and Florida State's out 2-0. Leonard, it is so great to get caught up with you. Yeah, I appreciate that relationship, and I appreciate the time. It's good to have you back on. Thank you very much. All right, there's more on Pat Mahomes and his catch-up. This is not just me. The local media, in case he is following this pretty closely, Brooke Pryor tweets, she is the Chiefs beat writer for the Kansas City Star. She posted this minutes ago. Breaking. Patrick Mahomes says he also puts ketchup on his mac and cheese. All right, a couple of quick thoughts on this, and I won't belabor it. If he's putting ketchup on mac and cheese, at that point, he's putting it on everything. At that point, ketchup to him is salt or sugar. I mean, if you're putting it on mac and cheese, you're putting it on your cereal. (laughs) If you're putting it on mac and cheese, you're putting it on your cereal. If you're putting it on your cereal, you're putting it in your coffee. It's going everywhere. And before long, you'll put it on a toothbrush. I mean, that's pretty much his go-to. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that said, if I'm a Chiefs player, or if I'm a Chiefs coach, or I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm saying, man, leave this guy alone. What this guy's doing is working beautifully. Man, do not change this guy. You know, if you want to change him mechanically, if you want to work on his footwork, if you want him in the dark room, that's one thing. But in terms of what he's putting into his body, look at the guy. The guy can throw the ball 90 yards on his knees. Let him put in his body what he's putting in his body as long as it's legal. And last I checked, Heinz 57 was not a banned substance. Leave it alone. I love the fact also when he was a kid, he used to get bottles for his birthday. Like they'd wrap up ketchup bottles. And he probably loved it. Chiefs fan, what's your reaction to this? Here's one. Romulus. You say tomato. I say tomato. 
I say, get the hell off of Patrick F. Mahomes. Dude can do whatever the hell he wants. Ketchup on steak, footy pajamas, sitting in beanbags, wearing ring pops. I literally don't care, and this kid can do no wrong. Tyler and KC, War Patrick Bro Holmes dismantling the LA Rams Monday night. Unwar Marcus Peters and Willie and KC signed Tyler Kent. Hey, Tyler, I feel you. I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm not even saying that he's wrong. I'm just saying everybody's wrong if they're eating ketchup on anything that's not a potato product and they're over the age of seven. I'm not singling this guy out. He's starting a really important national conversation. And don't you come in here and get this twisted. I love this guy. Love him. Not only one of my favorite NFLers right now, not only one of my favorite athletes right now, he's one of my favorite athletes ever. I love this guy. And in fact, I'm grateful that he's starting a really critical national conversation. And that is whether or not anybody should ever have any ketchup on anything that's not a potato product over the age of seven. Except, I got to admit, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I do put it on dog. I will put it on a hamburger. All right, so let me crack that door open just a little bit. Not just fries, not just hash browns. Dogs, burgers. But not mac and cheese. Not Wheaties. Not in my bulletproof coffee. I'm just saying, if you're putting it on mac and cheese, you're putting it on your cereal. If you're putting it on your cereal, you're putting it in your coffee. If you're putting it in your coffee, you're putting it on your mustard. (laughs) Of course, this guy's in. The subject of this is ketchup is for dopes. Rome, ketchup is so vile and disgusting. What's even worse about ketchup guy is that every single one of these disgusting man children lick their fingers, and wipe them on their pants while they stuff their face with that liquid sugar. The worst of the worst is the guy who asked for a stack of those little packets so he can individually feed each bite of every fry like a pathetic little crack addict. War John in Huntington Beach needing multiple plastic surgeries to feel more confident about himself since he now knows what true handsomeness looks like. Signed, Tyler in Shredmonton. That's one of my favorite emails from Tyler. Tyler killing people who eat ketchup and saying that they use individual packets to feed every single bite. Like if you've got 30 fries, you want 30 packets of ketchup. And that it's liquid sugar. And that they're crack addicts. Tyler, bro, uh, I think you're being real and I think you're being honest. I think you're being truthful. Man, how clean do you eat, bro? What's your deal? Man, I'm just curious. I respect it. Respect. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Draymond Green is expected to make his return to Golden State tonight after that one-game suspension. Remember, <laughs> very sly. <laughs> that was awesome. All right, so I'll, I'll own that. I'll be really transparent about that. You probably have never heard that sound before on this show. All right, so our studio, we have a TV studio now. And because of the TV studio, we have really bright lights that are hot lights. The truth is, I'm going to be totally transparent about this. 
I ride that freaking thermostat up and down every single day. And in one instance, this studio is freezing. If I bump it up even one degree, then I can't breathe. I fight this thing every single day, and we can't figure it out. So I think maybe that was the first time all year long I try to be sly. Notice I didn't go on the air with, hey, Hawk, can you pick me up? Can you come in here? I mean, I, I could have walked around there and did it myself, but I didn't. I kind of gave him the note like, dude, can you hook me up? Can you knock down a degree? I forgot that when you get to the thermostat, you've got to take off part of that brick wall where it's hidden. All right, I mean, who am I kidding at this point, right? You heard the sound. There's like this giant piece of Velcro that we rip on this thing. That was that sound that that made. That was Hawk trying to pick me up by lowering the thermostat by one point, ripping the bricks, the bricks off the wall. Giant piece of Velcro. Anyway, that's what that was. So Golden State's in action tonight, and Draymond Green's going to come back. He had served that one-game suspension for conduct detrimental to the team. And the conduct that was detrimental to the team was him dropping a B on a teammate during a game repeatedly. That was the conduct detrimental. Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, and the Warriors knew what they were doing when they suspended him. They knew what they were doing when they docked him a game pay. They knew the message. It was going to send everybody in that locker room and literally around the rest of the world. And the message being, Draymond crossed the line. And in this particular instance, they had Kevin Durant's back. They knew that doing that and making it public would mean that that was going to be a story for a couple of more days. I mean, for instance, they could have got cute with it and then just privately find Draymond Green and then rested Draymond Green against the Hawks and then nobody would know it was suspension and it would not be a story. But that's not what they chose to do. They brought that thing right out in the open. So the question is, is that going to be the end of it or is it only going to exacerbate it, make it a bigger story? And one thing we know for sure, the story's not going to end tonight if Draymond makes his return. But the team is betting that it's the start of the end of that story. But the question is, how does it end? I'm going to say probably the way that other issues between other players on every single team in every single sport generally does end with a couple of guys coming together and hashing it out. I mean, because this type of thing happens on every team in every sport. Even a team is great. I'm telling you, man, I'm freezing now. One degree, Hawk. Did you do one degree? Now, don't come in here again. It's the damnedest thing. Like, I couldn't breathe when the segment started, and now I'm freezing. I'm saying this happens on every team in every sport. Even a team is great and as unselfish as the Golden State Warriors. So, no, this is not going to rip that team apart. I mean, certainly both these guys run pretty hot. Both these guys are pretty strong-willed. But so is the rest of the locker room. And that's why I'm guessing it's not a coincidence that the team announced that Steph Curry is not going to play, but he will travel with the team on its Texas road trip. That, to me, is smart. Because Curry is close to both Durant and Green. That's smart. Now, here's what's not so smart. All of you taking a run at Draymond in the wake of that suspension. All of you questioning, how good is this guy really? Like, he's not that good. He's not worth it. And whether or not he's worth all the drama that he allegedly causes. Now, I can't say that I'm surprised that a lot of you are going with that. Because Draymond is a guy that a lot of you don't like. Draymond is a guy who might be the most polarizing player in the association. 
me tell you what else Draymond is. Draymond is also the most underrated player in the NBA. And yes, I said that. Let me run down his resume for those of you who may have forgotten. Three-time NBA champion, three-time All-Star, 2017 Defensive Player of the Year, 2017 Steelers leader, All-American and Big Ten Player of the Year at Michigan State. And I know there's some of you saying, great Rome, he was the Big Ten Player of the Year six years ago. But on a team with Steph, Katie and Clay, how much does he really matter? Rome? Answer, a hell of a lot. A hell of a lot. Hey, quickly, who led Golden State in rebounds in the playoffs last season? Who led them in assists? Who led them in steals? Who led them in blocks? Answer, Draymond. Draymond, Draymond, Draymond. I get it. He's polarizing. He gets under people's skin, both opponents and teammates alike. He's had a couple of incidents on the court that he might want to have back. And if you want to hold that against him, you can Does he walk a line? Yes. Is he volatile? Yes. But is this guy critical to Golden State and what they do? Hell yes. Pretty much the perfect player for this era. A guy who can defend all five positions, who rebounds like a boss, and he sets the tone for that team. They're not the same team when he's not on the floor. You can even argue that he's the most irreplaceable member of that team. And yeah, I said that too. For instance, when Curry is out, they can find scoring from somebody else. Same with Clay, same with KD. But when Draymond's out, they're a different team. And yet there's still people out there who think that he's not a great player. And if you think that, you're just wrong. Bottom line, go ahead, pick a side if you want. I can see the argument that he probably does wear on people, maybe even the Warriors. I can see the argument that Kevin Durant, at times, can be too sensitive. And then maybe he's not going to resign. And then maybe he hasn't done that much to discourage those questions. I think that's fair. That's fair to say. But I'll tell you what's not fair. Thinking that this beef is going to derail their championship hopes. That this dynasty ended right as those two began beefing. It's like the biggest lie ever. It's a bad take. Not only will that beef and all the subsequent hot takes that came out of it not rip this team apart... I'm guessing it's going to galvanize that team. They're still the team to beat more than anything else. They're still about that ring. More so than who gets the last shot. More so than whether or not Durant's going to be there next season. They all want the three-peat. There's no way something like that is going to keep them from getting it. Maybe it blows over tonight. Maybe it doesn't. But it's going to blow over. It's going to blow over. It's going to be a non-issue and a non-story. It's in times like these that I look to Clay Thompson. Clay knows what the solution is. A win on Thursday and a win on Saturday and Sunday. So once we go on a little win streak, it will not matter. And this will be in the past like a ponytail. Truth. That tells me two things. Clay remixing Drake and getting it exactly right, and the ponytail jumping the day. Even Clay Thompson's talking about the ponytail. So you know it jumped the day. wonder if Clay was listening that day when I stopped the week that was from the ponytail. He may have been. Steph Curry listens, or did. I know, because he was quoting the show. 
back in the day. Isn't that right, James Kelly? Dude, I need more. I need more forewarning. You can't just drop that on me. Why, dude? I drop it on Alvy every single day for the last 10 years. Not that hard, bro. Not that hard. Just go into the sound library and look for Steph Curry. There's only one sound bite there. Man's game. That's it. Hey, Steph, what was that? When that guy showed up with a ponytail and tried to do the week that was, and I cut him off in the middle of it, how would you classify that, Steph? Man's game. Right? It is a man's game. All right, setting up hour number three. Damn, it's cold in here. It is freezing. I feel like this is a cryogenic lab or something. You know when you go into those little, uh, you go into those machines and it's like minus 5,000 degrees and you sit there for 20 seconds and all of a sudden you come out and you're like, man, I feel great. That was so therapeutic. At TFP Will Eat, that's my studio, except I'm in there three hours a day. At TFP Will Eat, touching that thermostat is the closest Hawk will get to having a degree. Oh, well done. <laughs> Extremely well done, Francis. It, very rare is the day where I applaud one of your emails. That was very well done. Touching that thermostat is the closest Hawk will get to having a degree. We are joined by the head football coach at UAB. Conference USA Coach of the Year last season. UAB football, you might recall, was shut down in 2014. It resumed play last season. My guest led UAB to a Conference USA West Division title this year. UAB is 9-1. They're 7-0 in conference. They're number 25 in the coaches poll, and they've got a big one Saturday. They're at Texas A&M. Bill Clark is my guest. Bill, it's great to have you back on the show. How are you today? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Good. Really good. Bill, so on Saturday, you beat Southern Miss 26-23 in overtime on a 17-yard TD run by Spencer Brown. I want to get into Brown and his significance to the program in a second, but you went to him three straight times in overtime, and he broke through for the touchdown on third down. Can you tell me, what did you think? What was going through your mind when you saw him score on that play? <laughs> Relief, really. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we had played really, really well the game before, and Southern Miss is kind of like us, you know, had a really good defense, and and his rivalry game, all the above, you know, obviously playing for the Western Championship and had been, we thought we had it put away, give them credit, they came back and here we are at overtime. And when we held them to a field goal in the first possession, you know, I just, I told our offense coordinator, Coach Benson, I said, look, we're, we're, we're running it three times and Spencer's probably going to run it all three. And uh, it was third and two and uh, he popped out of there and they had walked everybody up on the line and. Uh, I don't know if there's a word to describe seeing him run the end zone, but how, how great a feeling it was. Bill Clark's my guest. Bill, what I'm hearing from you is like essentially you're saying we're going to run the ball, and I don't care if they know we're going to run the ball. If that's the case, what's that say about the confidence you have in your offensive line and in Brown with the game on the line that you don't care, you're going to run it no matter what? Well, that's I mean you know that's kind of where we've been all year. Uh, you know we want to throw the ball, and our you know our quarterback AJ Early. Um, has done a really good job. He got banged up in the North Texas, and we brought our uh, redshirt freshman Tyler Johnson in. He led us to two wins, and um, but give them a, give them credit. They had really said we're going to take your running game away, and uh, it was just I mean that's how much confidence we have in Spencer. You know he was a freshman All American for us. Our O line is and and tight ends have done such a terrific job. You know we've led our conference in rushing, and it was it was their turn. We've been really good in the fourth quarter, and so it was good to see you know kind of our strength show up. 
UAB head coach Bill Clark joining us. So your strength shows up like that, and the win means that you clinched the Conference USA West Division title in only your second season back. I understand you've got more work to do still yet, but wow, I mean, what kind of emotions do you feel when you hear that West Division champions? You know, it's hard to, you know, in our business, I always relate it to Christmas Day. You know, you win the game, and you don't really want to go to sleep because, you know, when you wake up the next day, you've got an opponent like, like a Texas A&M sitting there waiting on you. But um, truly, this has been a terrific week. You know, you, you know, we've had a smile on our face. We're working hard. And, you know, we've got a huge challenge in front of us and still more to go after that with the conference championship uh, looming ahead. But it's, it has been a terrific week. I'm, in fact, I'm sitting here looking at this trophy on my desk right now. Nice. Going back to Brown for a minute. So he came to the UAB football camp back in the day when you had the old facilities. What did you think of him when you first saw him? And then what did you think when you saw him run a 40? It was amazing. I mean, really, I said, you know, we're sitting here on these on these grass fields, you know, that weren't exactly a super hard surface. It wasn't like we were running on a track. And there's this six foot one, six foot six foot one kid who's about two hundred thirty five pounds, and they say, Coach, you got to see this. And I and I literally looked down and it said four five two. And well, let's run it again four five three. Let's run it again four five two. So you're offered, and uh, you know, we offered him on the spot. He had been a linebacker. They'd converted to a running back and then you know the kind of the rest is history he stayed with us we stayed with him um first of, of summer camp he's down there with the the threes and fours and and uh, sometimes going against the one defense that we had at the time and running through them and um you know then he's moved to the ones pretty quickly and, and has such a great year last year and, you know you know how it is when people know about a guy he had a little bit of a foot injury that he doesn't talk a lot about and he's had to battle through all year but just been a, a real warrior force, and of course the O line and tight ends have done a good job as well. UAB head football coach Bill Clark joining us. You know, Bill, the program is ranked in the top twenty-five for the first time since two thousand four. When you look at where the program was, what does it mean to be back in the top twenty-five? Well, you know, for us, it's just such a great recognition. And you know, when you're in the business of recruiting, everything that that says you're viable, that you're doing a good job. Um, you know, that's important to recruits. And, and, you know, for us, really, when we came in here, I think kids love Birmingham. They like, you know, they loved our campus. Um, you know, we have the older stadium uh, that you know now. We're fixing to have a brand-new stadium in 2021. But these are the things that are important. I mean, it's a recognition of, of where we are and what this team has done. Obviously, you know, there's never – you never can rest. And, um, you know, that does create a – you know, for the next opponent, that's something they want to play for. But I'm just – I'm so proud of this group. I'm proud of – the city and our, our, our alumni and all the people that gave to really, you know, just help fund this program and bring us back. All right, so you got a major opportunity coming up, a big challenge on Saturday, Texas A&M and College Station. When you look at the game and the opportunity that it presents for the program, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, I think first, we're, you know, we got to be realistic. You know, we know we're playing an SEC school. We know we're playing on the road. We've got other big games ahead. and But, you know, we are going to compete. I think that's, you know, that's what I've seen out of these guys that, um, you know, they hadn't backed down from anybody else. They want to kind of see where they match up. You've got a great head coach. And, you know, I mean, watching them against Ole Miss last week, they played terrific. The few games they've lost, you know, have all been super close against other SEC opponents or Clemson. So, you know, we, we, you know, we know what, what's in front of us, how hard it's going to be and how tough. And, 
you know, hopefully we're hanging around near the fourth quarter and we can see what happens. You know, Bill, you and I have talked a number of times over the years, and it was always clear to me that you had a vision for UAB football and what it might be, and now it's coming to fruition. But having said that, did you ever think that you'd be 9-1 and one and ranked in the top 25 in just your second season back of playing football? No, that would that would probably exceed all my, you know, kind of my wildest expectations to, you know, to be sitting here where we are. And it's, it really is a dream come true. And, and um, just just proud to be here. Finally, then, you and I talked about why you stayed with the program. That's something you and I have covered. When there wasn't even a program, Tommy Brigham, who played a role in the resurrection of that program, told my colleague Dennis Dodd with CBS, quote, I'm sort of surprised Bill stuck around. You look back, either he was crazy or he knew something. <laughs> so let me ask you, were you crazy or did you know something? Uh, probably both. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I say this all the time. Anybody that kind of gets in this profession has got to have something wrong with them. Um, but not really. I mean, this to me is a calling. Uh, it is, it is truly all those things, you know, and I was an old high school coach and got into it for, uh, you know, the kids and being around them and just really love the game. And, um, you know, I, I really felt like that's what this was. This, this was kind of a calling and, uh, our city and our school needed us. And, um, you know, I'm just like every other coach, I'm competitive and I want to win. And, um, but I think this was kind of bigger than that. This was all about, you know, bringing this thing back for this this community that needed us, and that's kind of what I felt. But, yeah, the crazy part's probably true also. There you go. UAB, 9-1 <laughs> this season, 7-0 in the conference, and they are number 25 in the coaches poll. Very big one coming up on Saturday at Texas A&M. Bill, it's so good to have you back on the show. Good luck this weekend, and thanks so much for doing it. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having me on. Good night now! Change is strong, and you can experience it at Gold's Gym. For a limited time only, join the most supportive and dedicated community in fitness for just $1. Get access to the latest cardio and strength equipment, the best group exercise classes, and expert personal trainers dedicated to your success. A stronger you is waiting at Gold's Gym today. Tap the banner now for a free pass. Offer ends February 29th. Valid with select new memberships at participating locations only. Commitment required. Annual fee and other restrictions may apply.